This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Hi, friends, and welcome to Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast. My name is Jason Whelan. I'm a pastor at Saddleback Church. And today we are in our series on navigating the Bible. We're going to be looking at the different major sections of the Bible and talk about how should we read this section? What are important things for us to know? What are the major themes and elements of this part of the Bible? And we have a great lineup of experts in each of these parts of the Bible to help us do that. So for today, we are going to be looking at the Gospels. We're going to be looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And with me in this conversation, I have Dr. Janine Hanger, who is an assistant professor at Talbot, who did her doctorate studies in the New Testament, focusing on the Gospels. And today, we are going to talk about all things how to navigate reading the Gospels. We're going to talk about the basic details that you need to know who the authors were, what's the time period that we're talking about. We're going to be talking about the major themes and approaches that the authors of the Gospels took. We talk about the cultural context and why that's important to keep in mind as you are reading the Gospels. We talk about how to read parables. Parables make up such a large part of the Gospels. So we talk about how should we approach reading these parables. And then I want you to stay tuned through this episode because we have a wonderful conversation at the end of the episode on what it means to take an embodied approach to reading scripture. I'm not going to give you any more than that because it's such a wonderful part of the, of, the, of the conversation. I want you to stay through the episode to listen to that, what it means to, uh, to take an embodied approach to reading scripture. So friends, let's dive in now, navigating the Bible. Let's talk about the Gospels. Dr. Janine Hanger, thank you so much for joining me today. Really, really appreciate your time and excited to talk about the Gospels with you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. It's good <laughs> to be here. So I just, I want to start at the very beginning because as we all know, it's a very good place to start. Can you set the stage for us as we look at the Gospels? What can you tell us like about the, you know, the authors we're reading, the time frames that the Gospel accounts were written, you know, just what are the basic important details that you think people should know when they're about to dive into reading through the Gospels? Yeah, so, um, I mean, big overview. The Gospels were written within this context that, that God has been at work in the world um, through, through his people, his chosen people, Israel, and they tell the story about Jesus, um, the Messiah who has come to the world. And so the Gospels, it's this fourfold revelation of this good news, um, since it's by, you know, Jesus's death and his resurrection, his ascension, that we are freed from sin. And so we get this beautiful um, picture, this fourfold picture of Jesus's life and his words and his works. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John um, all tell the same story, but in different ways. Yeah. Uh, it's all within the context of the first century. And um, yeah, uh, I mean, that's the first thing I'd say. Just No, that's great. It, it, yeah, it, it's, that basic, it's that basic overview look yeah. that's so important. And, and it's helpful because, you know, a lot of people, maybe you've never read the Bible before. So if you've never read the Bible before and you pick up 
and you start in, in Matthew, you're like, Old Testament, I'm going to start in the New. And you just start in yeah. Matthew. And then you read through it, and then you get into Mark, and then uh, Luke and John. You start reading some of the same stuff, and you're like, yes. wait a second. <laughs> I just read this. So it's helpful yes. It's helpful to keep that context in mind, that these are just are different accounts, different people's um, uh, uh, written accounts of what was going on at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, and and... I've early on before I started really studying this, I would have that same experience. I'd read one to the next to the next and think these are, there's so much similarity. How can I distinguish between them? And it's uh, when you really start to put them side by side, we call this, you know, reading horizontally where mm-hmm. you can see who's what's in which account and then why to start to ask, ask the question, like, why does um, the author of John include these parts of Jesus's life, but no one else talks about it. Or, mm. or you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke are really similar to one another. They call them the synoptics because um, synoptics, you can see them together. They are sure. very similar to one another. Um, but why do they arrange them the way that they do? Because there are some things that are, you know, they, they choose certain um, scenes from Jesus's life, certain teachings, and they don't all have the same uh, emphasis. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's helpful. So you're not going crazy. You are reading some of yeah. the same stories. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and that's a good thing. And we'll get into that a little bit later. So, yeah. so okay, so we've set the basic details. The table is, is set for people as they are yeah. entering into the Gospels. What is it about the cultural context that you think would be helpful for readers to know about the Gospels? Yeah, so um, the cultural context, I and mean, this is set in the first century, Um AD or CE, however you want to sure. mark that, but in the first century in the Greco-Roman world, um, at the time, Israel is under um, the power of the Roman Empire. So they are um, being governed by a power that, uh, you know, it is very different than like if you're Jewish, it's, sure. you know, there's very, some different values there, but um, they would have had, um several languages that they operated in um in the first century context uh, i think if you're jewish you know jesus context of of being jewish they uh, in that world they would be speaking aramaic um but at the time greek was spoken widely it was the trade language and so you have the new testament the gospels are written in koine greek mm-hmm. um but i think latin was the official language of the roman empire mm-hmm. and then you also have hebrew which so i mean you've got these um, multilingual people um, probably didn't have a lot of access to um, written words the way that we do today. Um, you know, there is talk about literacy levels being lower than what we experience. I don't know if there is, lo- I mean, some people will suggest like 10, 15%. It de- kind of depends on what you mean by literate. And sure. um, maybe, you know, do you know enough to, you know, write a short letter or maybe, um, but to interact the way that we do today, you know, in our, maybe in yours and my context, yeah. you know, it's, you know, you pick up a novel, no big deal, but you know, that, that wasn't available to sure. them. Right? So. <laughs> no, I think that's important. And, and I, I, it's, I don't want to, I, I think it's worth to touch a little bit more on the Roman influence because we see a mm-hmm. lot of that, especially in, especially as you get later into the different gospel accounts when it comes to Jesus being put on trial and the crucifixion, like the the that part of the Roman Jewish interaction is is 
plays heavily in that. Um, so, For sure. so, so it, you know, people, if, if, if you're just reading it, you say, okay, why am I reading about, about these Pharisees, about the Sanhedrin? Why do they have to go to Pilate? Why does Pilate then send them back to, to Herod? How, how is this all working? And then why am I backed up? You know, and that's just because of the system at the time. Yeah. And so you're literally seeing like the legal system and the interaction and confusion between having a Jewish people who were encouraged to kind of self-govern a little bit while still mm-hmm. falling under the king's rule or the, the um, emperor's rule. rule. Mm-hmm. And then you see that confusion <laughs> being played out there. You also see see these questions start to come up, right? You, we see examples of Jesus saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So that's talking about, okay, how are we supposed to live as Jewish people within the context of a Roman government. We should be our own people, right? Is we should just care about ourselves and not care about Rome. Jesus is like, whoa, hold on there. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you, you, you need to live in the context of where you live. And so, yeah. so it does play such a huge part. So having that context, I think is vital. Are, yeah. are there other kind of important pieces in, as you think through stories of the Bible, stories in the gospels in particular, that you see culture especially play in that you think it's important like hey if you didn't know that this is how jewish people were accustomed to live in then this might be not not make as much sense sure yeah i mean i I think like as far as the um, jewish people go there are different um groups that kind of governed the jewish yeah people and um you know you're going to read about the pharisees Mm -hmm. and you're going to read about the scribes and Sadducees, the priests, the Levites. So you have these different classes of of leadership within the people. And there is concern about um, purity and um, uh, ritual purity and impurity and moral purity and impurity and all of that. And so there's a lot of them, you know, Jesus kind of um, stirs it up a little bit because he does things that um, goes against the grain of what maybe the, the Jewish, um, you know, some of the leaders would, would, um, yeah, you know, say is like acceptable. So that that's a little bit of what you, you realize. Um, I think the Pharisees, you know, we, we, they kind of end up being a negative, negatively portrayed throughout the gospels because Jesus really goes head to head with them a lot. Um, there's a lot of conflict. And so I know I grew up thinking, oh, they must be a really bad, like, they're like the you know, the, the villain or whatever. These are just the worst people. <laughs> yeah. But in, in fact, I think they were actually closer to Jesus than we realize. And mm. I, I, I think that it's almost like in kind of a, he is, these were the recognized um, leaders of the people and very popular among the people. And so the fact that Jesus um, gets in so much conflict with them is because they have so much sway and because they are the people, they are the the ones that the people are listening to. And so Jesus is saying uh, he's, he's really wanting them to get it right. And they've just in yeah. some ways don't, you know, like maybe it's a, like a quarter turn off or whatever. So um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah. No, so. I, I, no, I think that's a really, I think that's a really interesting point because you're right. So often if your experience with, with the Bible or with the gospels is from listening to sermons, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just going to church on Sundays. 
then typically mm-hmm. what you hear about the Pharisees is just all the times that they're wrong, is, is all the mm-hmm. times that Jesus has to correct them or is mad at them mm-hmm. or is flipping over tables or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. about what's going on. And, but I think you're, I think you're right to give that reminder of like, Hey, think about, about them is, is, is a lot of big part of their heart. Now I've clearly there are, are probably many Pharisees who are just kind of after the control. They liked having yep. control over the For people, sure. but you also get some like Nicodemus, you know, you get some other people, you know, who just, they just want to follow the by you know, the, the old Testament scriptures yeah. as they know them and try to do yeah. it as closely as possible because they want to be reverent in that way. And sometimes we can fall into that too a bit is we can, is we, we can find ourselves being a quote unquote legalistic because yeah. we're trying to follow exact as closely as we can. But we also have to keep in mind what Jesus comes into it is like, Hey, there's a heart piece here. So that, yep. that you're not quite getting. So let's look yep. at the heart piece here, not just um, the exact uh, prescription of what was said, but let's look at the heart piece behind it and let's put it into, and at Jesus's point, a current context then, and then we continue yep. to do the same of what it looks like in our context today. Yeah, for sure. In fact, I was reading um, recently it was, um, I think it was N.T. Wright and Mike Bird have a, the New Testament in its world. And they yeah. were talking about the Pharisees and they're saying it's not so much that they were a separatist religious group as they, they were like a Jewish renewal movement. Oh, <laughs> like they were, they were seeking to like, let's come on Israel. Let's get into the posture where, where God will um, restore everything. And so yeah. that was a little bit the, the, like their heart was in the right place in their interest in um perfect obedience but you know it's just kind of like what you said like their heart was right but then there were some places where they might have just kind of gotten off track so yeah Mm. no i I think that's really helpful because you'll be reading a lot about the pharisees in the gospels so it's it's good to keep them in context too yeah Yeah. so I, i think it's important to also look at kind of the themes as, as we talked about these four gospel accounts the has have four different authors and mm-hmm. really when you if you analyze each one they approach their accounts differently that they and so yeah. so how would you describe kind of the themes and approaches that each of these gospel writers took yeah sure so um i can just start with matthew sure. if you want just go yeah. straight through okay so Matthew's gospel, um, he really seems to be focused on a Jewish readership. Um, when when he writes, he's he really stresses the fulfillment um, nature of Jesus's ministry, and so he really and, and in a lot of ways he postured postures Jesus as the new Moses, um, bringing like a new interpretation of the law for his followers. Uh, you know, he just like Moses goes up on the mountain at Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. You have Jesus go up on a mountain and he gives. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, you've got these different parallels that that scholars will note between Moses and Jesus. And and so Matthew really does spend a lot of time, um, you know, this, this is uh, to fulfill the scriptures. This is to fulfill the scriptures. There's a ton of like direct fulfillment language, a ton of allusion to the Old Testament, and then a ton of like, um, like explicit, this, int- this fulfills this. Mm. So, um, 
So that's Matthew's focus. I think he also, he arranges his gospel in these different discourses. There's like five different units, maybe you would call them. And there's like um, within each of these units, there's um, certain like five blocks of teaching. Yeah. Um, so that's, that, that's, that's a little bit of the flavor of Matthew. Mm. Okay. So that's, I, I, so again, a, a lot of people start in Matthew. It's the first yeah. gospel of the new Testament. So that's an important yeah. place to look at. And yeah. I think, I think it's telling, as you said, his emphasis on kind of, uh, uh, on the fulfillment of what was read about through Jewish culture. It, and it's very telling because Matthew one is basically, as we say, just like reading a Jewish phone book. It's going through this yeah. history. So he's bridging mm-hmm. this gap, right? Is we have this long period between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament. And he's bridging this gap by telling mm-hmm. all of these people through the lineage of Jesus, ultimately mm-hmm. bringing there. And that's an important place to remember is that these aren't two separate things. The Old Testament and New Testament are not just two separate you know, books in themselves that we paste together. It's, it's a continuation. And mm-hmm. I love that that's where Matthew brings it in is this is a continuation of the work that God has been doing um, throughout yeah. all of human history and leading up to this crux moment of Jesus's life on earth. And yeah. I think that's a really special way to remember um, as you're reading through Matthew um, yeah. it's his approach. So then there's Mark. Mark's a little, you know, is, is the shortest of the Gospels. So mm-hmm. what's unique about Mark's approach? Yeah, so Mark um, Mark presents Jesus as the suffering servant, mm-hmm. and he um, it is the shortest Gospel. And, and in fact, we don't have to get into all this, but like that is that that is actually the reason why scholars today think that was probably the first one written. Yeah. Um, I think it used to be that they thought Matthew is written in the order that it's laid out, but Mark is the shortest. So it makes more sense that if you are, um, you probably wouldn't, if you're writing, if you're writing after the first gospel, you probably wouldn't shorten (laughs) Shorten it. it. You'd probably (laughs) add to it. Yeah. So it's the shortest one. It also has, um, it's got some, um, it, 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 it implies more of a Roman readership. It, he does a lot of explaining. He explains Jewish terms and customs. He explains, um, translates Aramaic words. So if you're a reader who doesn't speak Aramaic, you you would um, connect with it. And he's very vivid in his description, um, which many will look at, will say, oh, that's really consistent with it being an eyewitness account. He's got a lot of his gospel of action. He's got immediately and, and right away he did this. And yeah. Uh, many, some will say, suggest that he is um, written by John Mark mm-hmm. uh, as someone who is uh, writing down Peter's uh, perspective. Oh, sure. Yeah. So that's an interesting one. Um, okay, so so Matthew, Mark is different, and you can read these, and, and you can see these different approaches, as you said. Like Mark is a bit more active. There's a lot of it's 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 more f- fast paced in there and it mm-hmm. goes from scene to scene to scene action 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 and that's a kind of an interesting way to look at it too now yeah. now luke is a is longer one it has a fuller account of the birth of jesus in, in narrative mm-hmm. and what's important is that luke also wrote acts so so what can you tell us about the themes and approach that luke took yeah luke um luke for sure is uh, a little bit more um like his Greek is much more um, developed. It seems like he's um, 
very well educated. Uh, some suggest he was a physician. He's a very astute historian. He's collecting. He he says in the beginning, the first few verses, he says, I've been collecting and, you know, all of the resources together to put a, a, a good account together of, of all the things that Jesus said and did. And um, it's the first of two volumes. So Luke and then Acts, um, it definitely has um, a little bit more of like a Greek uh, flavor to it compared to like, a, like what Matthew's doing. Sure. Um, he's got uh, he, he really does. There, there's an emphasis on Jesus as a Jewish prophet, mm-hmm. um, kind of like the prophets of old, um, which is interesting. Like an example would be in Luke seven, when Jesus uh, raised the dead son of a widow mm. at Nain. It's really interesting to compare it to the story of Elijah's raising the dead son of a widow at Zarephath mm. in first King 17. So it's it's kind of got it's just it's it's got some interesting um connections there. Yeah, that's fascinating. And uh, and there are plenty of people who also start reading the Gospels with Luke, um, and a yeah. lot of it's because they can go Luke-Acts and then go back through, yeah. which is great. And so it's, I, I think, having that context and keeping it, it's an interesting idea to start with Luke because, as you said, he is very descriptive. He, he He's made mm-hmm. sure to take really good notes <laughs> and you can mm-hmm. see that play out is as things are are, are are very well described there's there's a lot of notes and you can tell he took kind of a responsibility in making this account mm-hmm. i want to make yeah. this as true as 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 detailed as possible yep. and that just plays out in, in, in yep. reading loop that's so then we get to now everybody has a favorite gospel John is my favorite gospel. Do you have a favorite gospel? Well, <laughs> I have to say, yeah, I did my I did my doctoral dissertation on John. Uh, on John, right? So I, I have to say, I do love John. John yeah. is my favorite too. So, so yeah. let's talk about John a little bit. What's so special about John? Yeah, John is quite a different uh, picture than the other three gospels. Um, uh, John. I was just, I, I teach a class on John and we were just talking about the differences yesterday. Only about 8% of John is reflected in the other uh, wow. gospels. Mm. There's just so much difference. And um, John is sometimes referred to as the spiritual gospel early on. Um, he, he's got a lot of symbolism and metaphor and um, just really rich, uh, rich deep, um, imagery. He, he, he arranges the gospel um, in these two movements. You have the the um, book of signs, the book of glory, and there's a prologue. And the prologue is kind of like the overture to an opera or yeah. the foyer to a you know a musical before mm. you walk in. It kind of previews what you're about to see, and it kind of sets these different themes in place. So you've got in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's like you get this cosmological picture of who <laughs> Jesus is from the very beginning. Yeah. You know, it, instead of it, there's no birth story, there's no Jesus as a baby. It was Jesus was was the word with Always. God, and yeah. what you know, <laughs> and in him was life, and life was the light of all mankind. So like you've got like life and themes of light, and you've got all these big themes he um the people who witnessed to him and he came to make his his children you know so you've got some really big themes that get set in place and it carries through mm. um, the rest of the gospel and it has john 15 which is my favorite chapter 
Yes, I love John 15. <laughs> so again, so so we've talked through uh, kind of the basic approaches, themes of each of these four mm-hmm. gospels. So it's important that as you are starting them, like it, I, I take some time to rethink about, okay, where am I going now? And how am I looking at this account of Jesus differently? If you are reading the gospels, like one after the other, take a breath in between and remember mm-hmm. to just do a little bit of looking at, okay, how is this one going to be different? And yeah. I kind of, and it, it just kind of navigates your eyes in a little bit different, a different way. And uh, so, yeah, just some encouragement there. Now, yeah, I wanted to, sure. I, I wanted to touch on a, a, a question that people ask, especially if you've never read the Bible before or you're jumping mm-hmm. into it. Because a lot of the Gospels is told in parable, and mm. so I wanted to, I wanted to give some space for you to be able to kind of offer some advice, encouragement for people as they are reading parables. What are some good rules of thumb on how to read parables? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. Um, so, par- so I assume you're talking about like the parables, like the stories, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. Jesus answering questions with a story as opposed to just answering questions, which he rarely ever did. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, these parables, um, these stories that we call parables, um, some basic, so they're basically Jesus is telling stories um, and he's trying to elicit a response from the hearers. So it's kind of, he starts off his parables with almost like an allegorical parable. It's the parable of the soils Mm. Um, and he, he talks about how, um, you know, the gospel, it's like the seed and it goes in, goes across different kinds of soil. And in some ways it's kind of a question for us to answer for ourselves. What kind of soil do I have ears to hear? He ends it with he who has ears to hear, let him, let them hear. And it, it really is kind of a question we're all supposed to, to answer. Do we have the ears to hear? the truth or, or the response he's wanting us to respond with, with the parable. And um, um, some in his audience don't have the ears to hear and they don't even understand it. And then others who are there, they, they hear it and they get it and they're going to wrap their whole lives around mm-hmm. what Jesus is saying. And so I, I, what I always encourage uh, my students, when, when you read a parable, um, a couple things to look for. You look for maybe the one or two or three points of reference. So to use an example, if, if people are familiar with like the parable of the prodigal son, sure. um, it's a pretty common one. Like, so you'd have the father and you'd have the younger son and, and the older son. Mm-hmm. So you look for the three par- three like points of reference. And then you're also trying to look at what's the context of the parable. Like, is there an audience that Jesus is giving, is giving this message to? Sure. And in the context of the parable, the prodigal son, you have um, he's eating with sinners and tax collectors and he's getting grief for it. So the you have like some of the teachers of the law who are there and they're kind of judging him for eating with all these people. And so the audience is di- diverse. You've got people who are kind of there to um, test him and they're 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 not not to they not really there um, in a friendly way. Sure. And then you have those who he's just with. And so when you look at the story itself, you're kind of asking that question, what is the response that he's hoping that they're going to have? And so, um, you know, really it's, it's pretty simple to get to that point where you realize that the, the younger son who is embraced, that the father runs out to welcome back, 
um, that is a message to the sinners and the tax collectors Jesus is sitting with it. Like, listen, the father's heart is for you. And the yeah. father's heart is wanting to welcome you back. Um, and then I think in some ways the older son, um, is, is the character that, that those who are, um, coming against Jesus are invited to consider that, listen, you've been with me all along. Like you, you have access to, you know, uh, all of my resources. Yeah. And so why wouldn't you welcome your brother back? Right. So mm. it's kind of a, it's the, how are you going to respond to this story is really the question um, to ask. I think when you're approaching a parable. No, I think, I, I, I think that's great advice. How are, how are, are you going to approach? So, so thinking about the lessons either being learned or what you're learning about God in that story, and then asking, asking yourself those reflective questions is yeah. very important for a, a, pretty much every parable. I can't really think of one that it's like, like, no, that's just for that. You know, no, it, you know, yeah. Jesus is talking to not just a specific audience, but he's also talking to everybody in all of human history who's going to read his word. And then there's, and, and then there's that report, important reminder of look at the context too, of how Jesus is teaching in that moment. So often we take things out of context and we just say, well, this is just for me right now. And mm -hmm. yes, the spirit is illuminating things in your life and the moment that is true. But there's also uh, stuff that was going on at the time, which could also further help you further speak to you or teach you or, um, and so asking those questions as well, and not just reading, uh, the parables outside of their context of just the story, but also reading them within the context and saying, mm -hmm. huh, um, because Jesus is responding, is talking to certain people and there's certain things that yeah. are going on. And so that yep. speaks back into the cultural context that we talked about earlier. Um, yeah. And so I think, I think those are great helpful hints for how to read parables, which take up a lot of the of the gospel time, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I'm excited to talk with you about, about where I want to go now, which is what does it mean to take an embodied approach to reading scripture? So when I was reading your bio on the Biola website, you talked about uh -huh. this. Um, I, I think this was a part of your dissertation. Um, mm -hmm. And so I saw this and embodiment is something that we've talked about uh, on this podcast a lot over the last few years. So I was like, Hey, <laughs> speak in our language. This is great. So, yeah. so what does it look like, um, to approach reading scripture from an embodied position? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it, um, I could trace it back to actually John 15. So if you're talking about John great. 15 being your favorite, and if, if listeners aren't familiar with John 15, it's the passage where Jesus says, I'm the true vine and believers are the branches on the vine and yeah. he who abides in Jesus bears much fruit. And um, I actually, that was kind of the thing that got me into my project as I was looking at um, abiding, this idea of abiding in Christ. And what does that mean, right? Like, yeah. what does that mean for us today in our day-to-day -day life? How do we abide in Christ? And um, that led to, oh, well, I am the vine where Jesus talks about being the vine is the seventh of seven I am sayings in John, which is that's one of the metaphorical things he does. He does these I am sayings. And that in turn led to this um, observation that within these I am sayings, Jesus is making these statements about who he is and 
believers are always involved in in that. So he says, I am the good shepherd, mm-hmm. my sheep who hear my voice that you, in order to be connected to the good shepherd, sheep have to listen and follow and stay near his voice. Well, what does that involve? Well, that involves a sense of hearing. Um, so I really actually focus on the, um, the sensory elements yeah. of the texts and then try to connect that into our own embodied experience. So what does it mean to listen for, you know, the voice of the good shepherd? Um, I am the bread of life. Uh, he talks about eating, right? Yeah. Eating the bread of life. Um, that is how we, that is in part how we participate with Christ. That's how we abide with Christ. Um, I'm the light of the world. He who sees the light and stays near. Again, it's all about staying near to Jesus and you do so by engaging your senses. And mm-hmm. so that's that's how I got into it. And so when I think about an embodied approach to reading scripture, um, I actually did, did a study on the gospels um, I'm just exploring the different sensory engagements and even how Jesus engaged his senses with other people and thinking about um, how does that impact someone on even like a, a more intimate level? Because there are ways that we can, we think about knowledge. A lot of times we think about knowing something. Uh, it's it's kind of takes a disembodied form. Mm-hmm. Like we think of knowledge as like this hyper cognitive rational thing that just, it's like a disembodied thing. But when you think about like, how do you know what a kitten's fur feels like? Yeah. You know, you can talk about it all day, but until (laughs) you touch that fur, like you don't know, it's a different kind of knowledge, right? So how do you know what bread tastes like? Well, you can describe it in words, you can smell it, but until you taste it, you don't really know it's a different kind of knowledge. So I just kind of play with how can we know God and to think about all the different ways that we know. Well, I love that. And it's, it just comes to this true fact that God God envisioned making people as embodied people. That we, we yep. cannot be separated from that, that that's how God decided to make us. And so yeah. our embodiment is such a, it's, it's a huge part of what it means to be human. And that's how God wants us to engage with scripture, engage with his word is as humans. That's how he made us. We don't need to be ashamed that we are humans and that we are embodied yeah. humans. And so and so engaging our senses, which is a part of that embodiment, it's such a huge part is engaging your body in different in, in different ways as you are reading through scripture. It, maybe that looks like like doing what you are reading the people in the Bible to be doing to just get this fuller sense of what it was like a bit more immerse experience. I remember. So, so we have this, um, this art trail at Saddleback called journey with Jesus. And, Mm -hmm. um, it, it walks you through these 15 stations of the cross essentially. And, um, for a while we did these as guided tours. So, so we had tour guides that would walk you through each trail, each, each, each station, and what they would bring for these uh, guided tours are some active parts to it. So, like, the first station was about uh, uh, Mary washing Jesus' feet with the nard. Mm-hmm. And so we had a jar of nard that we had bought, and so we let people smell it and see, and just kind of fill, like, here's this aroma that was That's filling so the cool. room as she broke the jar and was washing in, Jesus's feet with it. And then when you get a bit later, you had the nail, right? Is you could feel the points of the nail or we had thorns, like what would have been on um, 
um, oh, the crown of thorns. So you, you get these mm-hmm. tactile experiences mm-hmm. that just kind of just add bringing the story to life in new ways. Yep. Yep. And, and, I love that. It, it seems so untapped, this idea mm-hmm. that when you engage these other senses, it it impacts you, it stays with you, it, it, it influences how you are responding to what you are engaging in in a different way. And it, it seems so, it's such an untapped thing in church culture because we just sit yeah. in our pews or sit in yep. our chairs and listen and we're only engaging maybe two things where you're listening and we are reading usually. Yep. But yep. there's so much more opportunity when we engage these other senses, these other experience pieces as well. Um, yeah. So I love that you've taken this approach to the Gospels and you're just like, hey, let's look at this in a different way. Yeah. Let's look at what it looks like to engage our whole bodies, not just yep. our ears or our eyes, but our whole bodies in what we are taking in. It's God's word. There's so much yeah. more that we can be, be, uh, be exploring and, and getting out of what he has for us when we approach it with our full selves. Yeah, for sure. Oh. Yeah. I love it. So yeah. as you are reading the Gospels right now, <laughs> mm-hmm. look for ways that you can be experiencing different senses. Like Dr. Hanger was talking about, when you're reading about the bread of life or you're reading about the Last Supper, take some time to actually like engage with those elements as you are reading about the crown of thorns, go out and find a rose bush and touch it even gently, you know, just, you know, just find these little ways to bring into this experience. If you are reading together as a small group, for example, look ahead a little bit and bring some things into your small group setting that you can pass around and just everybody engage with. Um, And by the way, Nard you can find Nard available online to buy. So, so that's what we did. I, I, I think the, the one that we had actually came from Israel, but there's other places that you, that you can find that as well. <laughs> that's such a great idea. I love that. Um, okay, so, so last question for you today, Dr. Hanger. I, I, in that same bio I was reading about you, I was reading about your, your heart for helping people read the Bible with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we've talked about an embodied approach to reading Bible. Yeah. Another thing that we love to talk about is heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? The great yeah. commandment. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to just share with us what does it look like to read the Bible with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Mm. Yeah, I guess I guess I... With that, it, it really does have to do with not leaving out our embodied selves. I mean, it really is like recognizing it's more of a unity of of heart, um, heart, soul, mind and strength. It is recognizing that everything that you do in this life, you know, like you're out for a walk, you're out for a run. And it's this idea of, of abiding in Christ that he is with us always. So there's no place where he's not. And I think, um, including every moment, even the most mundane, regular, like moments where you think God couldn't possibly be there just to recognize, I think I'm a big, a big proponent of like thanking him that he's here because it reminds me, oh yeah, he's here, Mm. you know, even in the really mundane moments. And I think, um, every, every moment is an opportunity to, um, connect with him and acknowledge that he's there. And so I think it really, this heart, soul, mind, and strength to me, when I think about reading the Bible in that way, it is, um, 
not only creating space for it, but creating space and recognizing that it um, it has a has the power to um, move across your whole day, move mm. across your whole life, move all move across all the different facets of your life if you're open to it, yeah. if you have the ears to hear, right? Mm. If you have the receptivity for it, so uh, that's probably what I would say. No, I think that's great. L- letting God's word imbue the other parts of your life, right? Because the Bible doesn't just stop you. As you close the book and put it back on your nightstand or wherever, it doesn't just stop there. God's word lives within us. As you are reading it, the Holy Spirit, if if you are letting the Holy Spirit, will be doing a work in you through what you read. That's why we call it living word, right? And so as you take it into your life and you know it it can it's almost like a little bit of code like a computer code that Uh can get put into the source code of your life and it can have this effect on all of these other elements of what it is that that code is operating and so every time you read the bible it's like you're getting a little bit of code that is being added in to your life, or if you want to go back to the John 15 verse, it's like you are attaching a little bit more to that vine. You're being grafted more and more. Every time you read the word, you're being grafted onto that vine, which is Christ. And so you're getting those nutrients of life and what it means to live out in your heart, soul, mind, and strength is what it looks like to be fully attached or abiding in terms of John 15, abiding into that vine and letting him just influence, impact, imbue, however you want to describe it, your daily life, you, who you are in this world. And that's the call that God has made for us. He's called us to to be more and more like his son. And that's not just in how we act in trying to be a mimic of Jesus. It's literally being more and more filled with the spirit and lived in different way and, and seeing that live out in different ways in our life. And so um, I just, I love that reminder as you read the Bible every day, if you've made this commitment and you're like, I want to read my Bible every day, or you're following a Bible reading plan, you know, don't just sit there and just get through the pages and just put it, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just any other book. I think that's Mm -hmm. kind of an important approach. Mm -hmm. It's not just any other book. This has Mm -hmm. quite literally the power to change your life. Not like saying, oh, I read Atomic Habits and it changed my life. No, this quite literally has the power to change your life because it is different. It is God's word living in us. And so uh, I I love ending with that reminder. Is there... I don't want to close on me just harping on a soapbox here. Is there anything, any encouragement that you want to offer people as they're reading the Bible, maybe for the first time, or maybe they've made a new commitment and they're reading this year? Is there any any ending encouragement that you would like to give to people? So the thing that's coming to mind is, um, I hope it's not a downer, but because everything <laughs> you just said was super beautiful and, and right. Like everything you just said was right on. I totally, I, I agree with everything you said. I think that's actually a great note to end on. So I'm kind of like, I, I hope this doesn't ruin it. No, but, you won't. <laughs> but I, I, I think it's probably a word for those who, for whom the Bible sometimes feels stale and yes, wrote, please. you know, like, um, if you are doing a Bible reading plan and you're like, I just got through it, you know, yeah. and it, and you're feeling nothing and it's got not, you know, it's mm. just this like 
kind of a road, like I've been through those seasons where you're like, okay, I'm doing this because I've committed to it. And it doesn't seem like any of the words are jumping off the page. And I've read this before and I'm reading it again. You know, if it, I think, I think my encouragement is just, it's the reminder that of everything you said, that the word of God is living and active Mm -hmm. and it's, it's doing something, even if you can't feel it, even if you don't, if you don't believe it, even if it feels as dry as dry can be, God's in it and he's working. And I think that's the thing that we have to keep reminding ourselves. Sometimes you just got to, okay, close the Bible and go take a walk and and trust he's, he's doing something, even if you're, even if it doesn't feel like it at the moment. So that's, I don't know. It's like my kids when we plant seeds. Yeah. But they put the seed in the ground and then they send there and be like, it's not doing anything. Yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> sometimes it takes a while. So sometimes you yeah. don't see what's going on under the surface, right? Yeah. But, but that's the yeah. that's the beauty of God's word is it doesn't return void. So that's right. you know, he will he every time that you are reading the Bible or reading scripture, a seed is being planted in some way, shape, or form, and you have no idea what's like what that is going to look like. And maybe yeah. you will never even be aware of what that looks like because it, it, it has impacted how you have helped another person. And you don't know that that is because of that one seed from that one time that you read the Bible that's impacting how you did, you know, but God knows. So yeah. as you said, it's just sometimes you just got to say, okay, God, I trust that you are doing something with that because I felt like nothing happened today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I, don't worry. In 30 years, that's going to come back up and you won't even yeah. know it. <laughs> Very cool. Well, yeah. thank you so much for your time, Dr. Hanger. Really appreciate your time today and you're talking us through the gospels. Oh, thanks for having me. This has been a joy. I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Janine Hanger, for helping us navigate through the Gospels. In the show notes, I'll add a couple links to some other episodes from Doable Discipleship that um, I think you would find helpful as you are reading the Bible or reading the Gospels in this time. I'll put a link to um, some other books as well that might be worth checking out as well. The big takeaway that I encourage you to to do out of this episode is to have intention when approaching the Bible, right? We talked about this with Dr. Hanger, but having that intention of not just picking up the Bible, opening it, reading it, and putting it back down, but that reminder that you're approaching the Bible in a way that you are inviting God to speak into your life, is that God can can and will do a work in you through Scripture. So, it's this idea of approach that we've talked about for a few episodes now, but it's so important and it's worth repeating. How are you approaching scripture? Maybe even it's worth saying a prayer before you open up your Bible. Just say, God, I'm excited to be here with you today. Lord, speak to me through your word. I'm listening. I love you. I am your son. I am your daughter. And I want to learn from my father and I want to grow to be more and more like your son. And, Again, God honors that. So take that into your reading of the Bible today, tomorrow, and for, you know, every other time that you engage with God's Word. Friends, this has been another episode of Doable Discipleship. We will have another episode for you again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. 
You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.